0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of In Star Trek We Trust, a Star Trek podcast. Today we'll be discussing episode 7 of Star Trek Lower Decks Much Ado About Boimler. Boimler. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin, and my other host is. Ethan. And I have to say, this episode brought Lower
1: Decks to a new level for me, and this is the one. This is the one, and I can't wait to talk about it.
0: It brought Lower Decks to new heights.
1: Yes, it brought them out of the low and in
0: to the high. Agreed, it was a good one. So the plot this week revolved around Mariner, where she tries to impress her best friend from Starfleet Academy, um, who's now in temporary command of the Cerritos, and Boimler is sent to a Starfleet medical ship after a transporter accident kind of puts him a little bit out of phase, which has been a trope of... ...previous Trek shows, so uh, it was good. I mean, it it played with, as it always does, it plays with the formula from past Trek shows, the tropes, kind of puts a new spin on them, and actually makes them very funny. So, But yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I thought it was a a really, really good episode this week. So I think, um, as we were saying last week, the show seems to have reached its cruising altitude, and I think it's really found a rhythm that works really well for it. So I'm hoping to keep this up all through the rest of the season.
1: Yeah. I mean, not only that, but I really hope I, I just think that it's hit. It's actually moving in a direction in a big way that I really, really like. Mm -hmm. I feel it's almost surprising that it's going this way, but I think even from what I saw from next week's episode, um, like, I think our characters are actually going to have an arc where they end up somewhere different at the end of the season than when they started, which yeah. I didn't expect from the animated
0: comedy show. Right. Well, I think. Well, Star Trek. I think what's cool before we get into the specifics, just some sort of high level observations. I think what's what's getting good about the show is that, I mean, to your point, yes, it is a comedy, but it's not it's not always a comedy. I mean, yes, there are laughs every single week but the stuff that's going on like is serious, right? Like it's still stuff you could potentially see in a next gen episode or any of the other shows. But they just kind of pepper that with comedy and yes they do poke fun at stuff, especially tropes, but they definitely take the subject matter seriously, which I think is which I think is really good about the show. So there's a really good balance. It's
1: true. Yeah, you could yeah. take any of the plots and with not that much work turn it into a next
0: generation plot and and see and i know that one of the things i've said in the past with regard to other trek shows is that i think what makes specific trek shows of specific spinoffs work best is doing a plot line that you could only do on that show but for some reason i think because lower decks is so different from the other ones because it's advertised as an animated comedy it kind of has to prove itself a little bit more by t- convincing you that, yes, even though this is an animated comedy, it's still a Star Trek show. So it has to kind of work double duty to say, because, see, look, we can do stuff. We're doing stuff that you would that you would see on the next generation. And it's true. I could mm. totally see a lot of the plots that we see on this show on any of the other spinoffs, quite frankly. And I think mm. that's what Lower Decks is sort of using to kind of prove itself to say, yes, yeah, see, we are we are a Trek show.
1: Totally, totally, and I'll, I'll give, so they, since the two big reasons this week are high level, I'll just lay them out, and I'll get into more of my explanation and evidence later, but two things. One, after this episode, I actually wanted to, I want to see a live action Mariner, and that and it would, it would make sense, I don't think it would be out of whack, and it could be the same actress, Newsome, she would be great. Right. But I think her character is that fully developed for me and like fully a character worth seeing that I, you could put her in anything. And secondly, in thinking about that, what I realized and this is, you know, I'm not going to go too far down the road, but um, I care more about Mariner and her um, journey than I do about Michael Burnham and her journey.
0: I think it's because Mariner, I feel like, is more likable just off the bat. Where Michael is somebody who you needed to... Once she committed that mutiny, she not only had to earn the trust back of her crewmates, but she had to earn the trust back of the audience. And... She committed that mutiny so early on in the show. I mean, it was the first episode, right? So she wasn't on screen enough, long enough for us to really kind of. I mean, I I took a liking to her, but I knew, I already knew where the show was going because we already know what the plot of the show was. I think that it's a first impressions thing, in my opinion. I just think that Mariner was presented to us as likable right from the beginning, right? Michael has a lot of of layers and has a lot of things going on. And I think, yeah, to my, I, I, I stand by what I say when I said she not only has to re earn back the trust of the crew but the audience as well so
1: i I sort of I see what you said, but yeah. the thing that with me is like when she did do the mutiny, it was sort of like you un- they did it well in that you understood why she did it mm-hmm. and it, and it made sense
0: yeah and
1: like you st- i still I still felt like I wanted to root for her yeah but um i yeah i feel i just feel more invested in this character because also obviously discovery doing a lot more than just the michael burnham story right um but yeah i mean for some reason this arc is much more compelling for me and mm. her it, she's clearly on a journey in a character arc that's going to lead her well, somewhere
0: yeah and i think that just with kind of the plot of discovery kind of shifting back and forth that over the last two seasons, I just think that Michael, Michael didn't seem to me to be what she was originally supposed to be. And I just think that she was, I think she was originally, I think she was initially supposed to be very compelling, but I just think that because of there was so many shakeups on the show, because the plot changed so often that it was difficult to kind of, you know kind of juggle what eventually she became and so because i think as far as we were concerned like at the end of season one when she got her rank back i remember thinking to myself like oh okay so that's it then right
1: yeah it seemed to me
0: like that was going to be something that that seemed like a goal for the end of the show not the end of the season so that was kind of like that to me felt like okay this is the end of like the brian fuller end of this Right,
1: our two pillars would have been a longer arc but they just when they abandoned his ideas they're like oh crap we got to bring it back to normal now. Exactly. So yeah, I think
0: well, I think with yes. Discovery it was I think I think Michael is more a victim of <clears throat> the kind of constant changing and shifting of the of the plot of Discovery that it kind yes. of whittled her character down to be yes, less interesting than yeah. It's
1: the fault of the actress or the character. And right. we're not going to make this the Discovery podcast but it used like, to be the interesting thing, right, is that in all of our discussion about what the next season of Discovery is going to be, one yeah. thing that we've never talked about, that never crossed either of our minds that I know of, is like, oh, well, but what about Michael? How's her journey going? Where will her character go to? Like, that was never brought up, because I don't think it right. hasn't landed.
0: Well, that's I think that's canon fodder for future episodes, so for us to right. that When we get onto discovery, because we'll be doing that pretty soon. But um, back yeah. to lower decks. So we've got a couple of plots going on this week, as we do every single week. So I like the Boimler plot quite a bit. So I have this as story A. So Boimler's transporter accident. I, I mean, I thought it was a great take on the transporter malfunctioning trope of the past shows. You know, it reminded me specifically of the Next Gen episode, the Next Phase, where Geordi and Ensign Rowe don't fully come back into phase. But so the idea is that. Rutherford is trying to increase the speed of the transporter by having people rematerialize much faster, and so he's trying it out on Boimler, and then Boimler well, doesn't materialize remember, fully. He's trying
1: to increase the speed by 0. 0.5 seconds.
0: Yeah. Which is right.
1: hilarious. Because right. only only like a science engineer type would want to do that.
0: Exactly. Point?
1: What it's, is the point?
0: What is the point? So, and it was Boimler coming back, but he wasn't, he was just slightly out of phase. So, of course, he was like glowing blue. He was slightly transparent. He was luminescent. And he, and he was just emitting this loud sound. And I got to tell you, yeah. like, my favorite moment of that was when he actually arrived on the bridge and just <laughs> tried to make it seem like nothing was wrong. He's like, all right, everybody, we're doing it. And then he just like walks over to his station. And he's just gl- not only is he glowing blue, like, he could have just been glowing <laughs> blue and that was it, but he's also really making, a, he's also like emitting a loud sound. And, like, I don't know. The like, transporter sound. Right. Yes. When when he came onto the bridge like that, I, it was, I, that, I laughed so hard when that, when that happened. That was great, yeah.
1: Yeah. And it was fantastic because, right, I always just, I'm sure most people assumed that that sound was the machinery of the transporter, not the person's
0: molecules literally coming back together. Right. But they decided to make it the molecules, and right. that's fine, so... See, oh, and I'm glad you mentioned that because, and this is, this takes me back to a more general comment on Star Trek Lower Decks. When you, when you mention things like that, like you say, oh, we always kind of assume that sound was the transporter itself, but actually it's somebody's molecules coming together. Like there are so many moments like that. There's so many like l- tiny moments of clarification that Lower Decks is doing mm. that you make. that's kind of making me realize like, oh, that's what that is. Okay. Right. Like normally i wouldn't have thought it, we wouldn't have thought that but yeah. lower decks is like in a position to really kind of point that out and say no actually that sound you hear is them rematerializing not right. the transporter and it, sound
1: and it's interesting because that probably came up as like wouldn't it be funny if right so perhaps a new you know canonical uh, aspect of the technology has been added because it
0: made for a funnier joke right. and that's that's what i i like that lower decks like does it finds the little sort of like nooks and crannies like that and you're just like, "Oh, okay." It makes you mm-hmm. it's the show like is doing things that you don't normally that you just accept in Star Trek, right? Yeah, right.
1: like it brings new new eyes and a new perspective to Star Trek.
0: Right. Right. So um and as a result of him sort of being slightly pulled out of phase, he has to go onto that um that medical ship, the Division 14, the Division 14 ship, which oddly looked like a if, if you were to merge a Klingon ship and a Starfleet vessel together, looked like that. And I actually thought it was a really cool-looking ship, in all honesty.
1: Yeah, I had a note here of that it's a crazy-looking ship, and it almost reminds me of those 70s and 80s um, Japanese right. space fleet kind of
0: uh, animes. Right. And, and there was so much fan service on that ship. So we found out on the medical ship that... It's a medical ship that's actually kinda it's actually a transport, taking people who were sort of the victims of these various space accidents to this RISA we find out it's a RISA-like planet, but really it's a planet called the Farm, and like it's called the Farm, and they don't even know if the planet actually exists or not. And so you get to see these various people on the ship that have suffered all these various space accidents, and pretty much every single one of them that you see. Is some kind of a nod to a previous sort of like space accident that you saw on previous truck shows. I mean, the most glaring of them all was you saw one of them in the Pike wheelchair, in the Captain yes. Pike wheelchair. And then
1: later we saw three Pike wheelchairs. Right. Which, in Hawaiian so, shirts. Yes. Did you, because you and I have talked about the Pike wheelchair. Yeah. Probably yeah. more than most people. So Maybe. did you feel a satisfaction? In seeing and knowing that Pike was not the only one they shoved in a box with a light.
0: Yes, well, I thought of the term "box and a light" because that's what you kept referring <laughs> to it as back back then. But uh, yeah, and but even that person was but the thing is what's funny. Well, what was really funny about it was that when they were talking about why that person was in the was in that wheelchair, it was the, for the same reason that Pike was in the wheelchair. They were exposed to delta radiation. That's why it was. A, so the same thing happened to them that happened to Pike. Right. So it wasn't like they were putting that wheelchair for other reasons. So yeah. like, yeah, yeah. It's not as if they use them just for anybody that needs a wheelchair. It's a very specific. Yeah. Wheelchair. So that makes me wonder, like, oh, so you're you're only putting that wheelchair when you get exposed to delta radiation? Is that what happens?
1: Yeah. yeah. And that was the thing I thought about all the the um as they called themselves the freaks. Right. Um. So yeah, you had some of those half old and half young. Was that a reference? Because that one was very odd. Um.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I remember seeing something like that before. So um, I think through various transporter accidents or like, you know, makes me think of the original series episode, The Deadly Years, when they're all rapidly aging. Okay. Um, And then you had
1: someone that had eyes where their nipples should be. Yeah. And someone else just had eyes all over their head. But it was so fun because once I saw all the people on the ship being brought to this place to, to be healed, my first thought was, of course Starfleet would have this many... Horribly odd, um, you know, accidents that change and deform people. Right. So right. it's a great, um, yeah, nod to the fact that if Starfleet operated in this way, there were this kind of type of thing would be
0: happening, you know, weekly. Right. And the fact, and and generally, what happens is that whenever you see, you know, somebody in Trek like suffer some kind of accident like that. Very rarely do we see what happens. Most of the time, they get put back to normal, right? But if not, we never really get to see, well, what happens after that? Yeah, they get put back to normal or they they die. Right, right. Um, The thing that jumped out about that ship to me the most was the captain. The crazy captain, right? (laughs) He was... His, so I kept trying to see who the voice actor was because I loved the voice was so well done. Okay, so I couldn't it, find and it, and I agree with you. But there was the thing that about that captain that jumped out at me the most, and this is sort of leaping ahead to my continuity watch. But since we're on the subject, I think it's relevant. Mm-hmm. That captain, he's a uh, Endosian. He's the same race as Arrex on the orig- on the animated series. The, the three armed alien where Checkov sat. That's
1: nice. what he. That's what he is. Okay, and when we were talking earlier, I said, you know, the captain
0: looks like he would be from the animated series, yes. but I couldn't place him. Fully. we've yeah, not seen one. We've not seen one since the animated series, and like, I was so happy to see that because he even, you know, like in past Trek, and I know Discovery does it with the Enterprise, but like they can take something that we would have seen a long time ago, and they sort of they update it, they modernize it to fit the kind of modern aesthetic. I love yeah. the fact that they 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 didn't really I can understand them doing that from like a live action perspective, right? But like even in a cartoon, he still kind of had that nineteen seventy three animated series look to him, right? He wasn't like kind of redesigned to sort of fit in with the art yeah. style of um of Lower Decks. Like he still looked like he would have on the animated series. So Yeah it's and things the, like that. This, I, yeah. Right.
1: yeah and maybe a topic to discuss another time would be, do we think that it is necessary when they do the updates to the, to the aliens? Mm -hmm. Because obviously you want to make them look more realistic, but do you need to change their design?
0: But another topic for another day. Correct. Yeah. So I love that there was like a minor, I I got a really good laugh. Like when they were going to, when they were like telling Boima that they were going to mutiny and then like it, the way it just like transitioned from, them telling Boima to Boimler telling the captain. It was like a perfect transition. and just made me laugh so hard.
1: Yeah, that worked really well. And his, um, you know, of course, because he's Boimler. Boimler's going to Boimel. And right. so, of course, right. he was there telling on them. Right. But then not wanting to take any responsibility for it. And plus, it was a great, it was just good humor. Mm-hmm. Well done comedy that the captain had an evil voice and an evil yep. laugh. And the things he said were just right. made it seem so much like this was a horrible thing, right? Uh, and then to have it be revealed that yes, he is he's actually bringing them to a uh, right. utopian farm, to because again,
0: because it's Starfleet, right? Starfleet's not corrupt, so, right? But I think the only thing about that aspect of the of this plot that didn't quite land for me was. I know that they had been questioning, like, oh, we don't know if the farm exist, we don't know if this place actually exists, right? Mm-hmm. And so to find out that it did actually exist, me as a viewer, I didn't, f- I didn't feel like, I didn't feel relieved when I saw it because I felt like the the main thrust of like the question of whether it does exist or not wasn't that strong. So like I didn't find myself as a viewer wondering, hmm, does it actually exist? Like it wasn't. So I didn't feel any sense of relief when I actually found out that it did exist.
1: Yeah, I guess I never felt that Boimler was in any real peril. Yeah, like yeah, I did yeah. think because obviously it's a cartoon; he's gonna make it back. Right. But I did find it a nice reveal. Right. Because he, you know, they were launching him from the um, yes launching him into the the vacuum of space, and then yeah. he's laying on the he nice ground. out the Yeah,
0: the way they uh-huh. revealed it was really good.
1: Yeah, that was really well done. And plus, it was just it was such a great twist because, you know, I started to this was an evil ship right. and they were they were just hiding out their quote unquote freaks as they call themselves right uh so that no one has to see them so i did think that all that was true so i well, it did surprise me but like i said i was never worried for them. but i was mm. surprised right yeah but i think um and, and there's actually one more. I love that the captain um, acknowledges that, and he says, yeah, you know, you're right, maybe I should paint the interior some nicer yeah. colors and put some more lights, <laughs> because it is a very evil scene. It reminds me more of a Klingon ship than a Starfleet ship. But yeah, inside.
0: like I was saying, like it looked like a weird mishmash of a Starfleet vessel and a Klingon ship, and I liked that when he laughed, and he goes, oh, no, that's just how I laugh. <laughs> like, yeah. He's not actively trying to scare people. He's like, no, that's just kind of how I laugh.
1: Yeah, and that's why I think the voice actor was fantastic. I wish I found his name.
0: Well, and it also makes me wonder, too, because this is the first time we've seen that alien species outside of the animated series, and we only saw it in Arix, right? What I think Lower Dex is... So what Lower Dex is now in a position to do, they've they've now added a little bit of um, world building to that species. And so it makes me wonder, like, what is... Is that just the way he is? Is that the way the species comes off? Because I don't really go into it much on... Lower on um the animated series, so it was
1: was Ariks creepy
0: in his, you know, no Arrex was immediate... very he actually spoke almost I I remember him speaking like almost kind of like he sounded almost like the Enterprise computer in the way he spoke, right? So, uh, yeah, I, I it's because Arrex was the only one that we saw. He's the only one I can base it off of, right? So, it just it makes me wonder what they're like as a species. It's kind of like. With the Andorians, right? We didn't really know what the Andorians were like, and so Enterprise. We saw them in the original series, of course, right? Mm-hmm. And a couple times in like as background characters in the movies. But Enterprise was really the first show to really kind of take them and give them, and do some world building for them. We found out they're actually military. They're actually very militaristic, and they can be real dickheads. So mm-hmm. which was great because it was not indicated by their appearance because they look ridiculous, right? And I was and I've always said. I think that's why they militarize them because they have antenna. They look like the stereotypical like aliens from like nineteen forties. Mm-hmm.
1: Except someone was smart enough to say, you know what, don't make them green, make them blue.
0: Right. Right. And then make them very militaristic and tough guys and and so mm-hmm. you and and because of that you forget about what they look like. And I thought that's that worked great. Yes. And I think you know, are we kind of in a similar situation with, with these aliens, right? Like do we because of how they look, even though they look like a 1970s cartoon alien with three arms and three legs, what do we make them like to kind of take, maybe to take your mind off it? I don't know if that's the approach, but all I'm saying is that Lower Decks kind of adds a little bit of world building to them ever so slightly, but I I want to see more of them. So.
1: Yes, maybe we'll see some live action one day. Yep. So it's interesting that this, sort of melds with Tendi's story yep. um, and they're very much the secondary plot, even though it seems like such a momentous thing. I mean, they're off on another ship and you right. have uh, Boimler and Tendy paired together, which is, I love that we got a little mixing of the characters. It's usually been Rutherford and Tendy, and then Boimler and Mariner. So I like right. that we got a different uh, configuration of that, but Tendi, who starts us off with the cold open, um, revealing that she has created a dog. Yep. But she doesn't really know much about dogs. She thinks she does. And so her DNA uh, work is a little crazy because she thinks that dogs fly and that they shoot lightning bolts and they turn into cubes and they talk and their eyes can fly out of their mouths like bats.
0: (laughs) It's just... And it was more... But I think for me more the idea that Tendy could have made anything she wanted, and she made a dog, which is what she wanted. But, like, you thought she would have made some – but I also – I forget to myself, like, oh, yeah, but she's not human. Because she's like, oh, but I never had a dog. I'm like, okay, yeah, well, that makes sense. So you story. make a dog. I mean, if she she that were me, yeah, I never had a dog either, so.
1: I'm sure humans have told her, oh, dogs are the best animals, and, oh, they're your best friend, and they're so loyal. Right. Everybody and, who who has had dogs loves to talk about
0: dogs. And the thing for me, like just from a personal story, I never had a dog either. So if I could do that, I'd probably make a dog too. Because I never yeah. had one. And who knows, maybe you would assume you knew what dogs did, but maybe you would get it right. wrong. Right. Right. And so and it's the dog itself that kind of brings her and Boimer's plot together because she's actually on the ship with him on the ship of freaks with him. But she's there because of the dog. Which kind of kind of confused me because she built an artificial life form so I'm like why is that why is the dog with them she can just you know I don't know it's just, it just I guess yeah. that was maybe part of the joke but yeah because yeah. Yeah, what what would they
1: if if she made the dog to be this strange why would they go to a place to heal the dog from being strange right when it was totally in her control yes wouldn't, right. yes wouldn't they have to get more of a data like trial to determine the future of this yeah,
0: that's odd. Actually, that's actually what I thought intelligent of. Intelligent yeah. dog. Right. But I think I think just with Tendy yourself, it was good to Again, it was good to see Tendy actually interacting with others outside of just Rutherford because really, as you kind of as you mentioned, up to this point, it's mostly been her and Rutherford together. It's it's the show's been broken up into sort of Bridge Crew plot, Mariner and um Boimer plot, and then Rutherford and Tendy plot. We haven't mm-hmm. really had much of a kind of switching it out, right? And so I thought it was good that we actually got to see sort of Tendy in a way outside of our comfort zone rather than just being huddled with Rutherford down in, like, the Jefferies tube fixing something and nerding yes. out about stuff.
1: And, right? and occasionally you would get the four of them together. Right. And then they would split off again. Yeah, so I, that, I did also think that that was great. And so I just see with the cat doctor also because that's where she works. but Right. um. Yeah, it was it was interesting too because her plot was still very separate. I mean, even on the ship, she kind of said, "Oh, I'm going to take the dog for a walk," and then she disappeared from from Boimler. Mm-hmm. So, it was it was it was
0: with Boimler, but also it was almost her own plot. Yeah, it started. she started off by her by herself on her own plot with that thing, and then yeah, it ended up sort of merging with her and Boimler's plot just kind of converged together and went off and did its own thing, which I thought was fine. But um it doesn't really give us much of a. I, I actually had that down as the as the C plot this week because I think the B plot is, Mar- is the well the other plot is Mariner's storyline, but Tendy storyline again started off by itself, but then it just kind of it was compliment it was complementing and then and then it merged into um, Boimler's storyline. So we kind of ended up with we kind of started off with three stories this week, but then we just ended up really with two. So yeah,
1: yeah. I think one really fun reveal from this plot um so when bueno was on the bridge and he was sent to uh sick bay we got to see some more of the the cat doctors whose name escapes me apologies um the cat doctor's bedside manner which is not good right um so i think that's another one of the characters that i feel i don't mind the doctor also being not the best example of a starfleet doctor yeah because it's I don't know. The more I think about it, it's more like the thing that bo- was bothering me was the captain being. It's like the captain and and number one both. I need to see them be somewhat steady. Yeah. Like well, the, the doctor and th- the security officer, they can be like wacky characters.
0: I think the doctor was kind of playing up to the Doctor McCoy stereotype set up in the original series, just sort of the grumpy, crusty, grumpy bedside manner doctor. Right. What do you want? Right. Well, what, what is it? <laughs> Menagerie. I still yep. love that. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's 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 the angle I think they're playing up with the with the with the Cerritos doctor. But yeah, I see what you mean.
1: And I think it works.
0: Yeah. The and so the other plot of the week is Mariner's storyline, which I also liked, but not as much because I feel like. So it it's it's hard to describe this because it, again we're in episode 7 and we've been down this road with Mariner already. This is like the third time now. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's it's okay, it's funny, but this is quickly becoming like a trope of the series now in other words like dangling the prospect of promotion in front of or moving up in front of Mariner and then she just not wanting to do it which I'm now beginning to ask myself what do you okay what's the reason behind this now cuz now I'm beginning to question what is what is Mariner's ultimate goal here like what is it that she ultimately wants like why is like yeah why is she staying on lower decks So
1: what I like about this is that this is the first time that it's sort of been addressed a little more um, directly.
0: I think out of the the multiple times they've done it, this is the one that's done it the best.
1: Yes, and I do. But I also think that there was something different about this one. And I think that this one was way more revealing of her character than the other ones. Because the other ones were more about, oh, she's a crazy rule breaker. Right. And that's why she can't move up but I felt that in this storyline we really saw that <clears throat> she has this fear of responsibility it's really what mm-hmm. it is right and and it was interesting because in this episode I, I I was set up to almost not like the episode Yep. because and let me just acknowledge the, the very funny how the bridge crew how they got rid of the bridge crew <laughs> Right. They had a, a secret mission where they all had black and, like, black ski masks on. Such and they had to go one. plant us. Um, so then her f- former friend comes in, uh, Captain well, Amina. Why don't we
0: kind of give a brief overview of what the plot actually was? So Yeah.
1: Yeah. So um, the bridge crew is off planting a seed on a top secret <laughs> stealth mission. Mm-hmm. Just like um, like they're in section 31, and I hope they're not. We have a, they have a temporary crew coming in, Captain Amina uh, was uh, we don't know until she gets there. Uh, Mariner's very good friend and uh, partner in crime from um, the academy. Mm-hmm. and she brings her, I guess science officer and it seems like her number one,
0: but then she makes Mariner her number one. Yeah, she brings like a little bit of an entourage with her, but yeah.
1: Yes, yeah. and we get a little, you know, it's a fun reveal because Mariner was uh, complaining the whole time. Oh, we're going to have a babysitter captain. This is the worst. I hate this. And then it was her friend, and she was all yep. excited yep. about it, which is another nice aspect of her character, how she kind of knows everybody.
0: She actually used the example of Captain Jellico as Captain Jellicoe is who we see in the the TNG episode, Chain of Command.
1: Oh, yeah, he was and, the yep. worst.
0: Yep. <laughs> Um, yeah, nicely done. That'll come I mean, up later, in my...
1: Know about that? Who knows?
0: That'll come <laughs> up later in my continuity watch. But go on.
1: Okay. Yeah. Um. So, um, Amina, Captain Amina, makes um, uh, Mariner her number one because, of course, she knows her. She knew her as the best grades, um, the one who he, she said uh, made sure everyone else stayed on track with all their academy work. Um, you know, she was the best leader of the group, which is a nice reveal for us because we've, we've gotten that impression, but we never really heard the specifics of it. Like she was the one that everyone said is going to be the first one to make captain in her class. Mm -hmm. Um, so she makes it her number one and then she is first, she starts by like doing some really ridiculous pranks and telling these totally inappropriate stories in front of the rest of the, um. Uh, entourage of Captain Amina talking about how she put a scorpion in uh, Ransom's bed and it almost killed him. Um, And then they go on their away mission. They have to do an away mission to fix a water purification Mm -hmm. system. And she just, as soon as they get there, she starts walking in the wrong direction. Yep. Uh, Then she forgets to bring the tricorders. And at this point in my mind, I was just thinking... She's, this is not Mariner. This she's is doing it on purpose, yeah. Well I didn't know, see I didn't think she was doing it on purpose. I thought the writers were fucking up,
0: to be honest. Oh, okay.
1: So I was just like I was mad. I was like, what? How can they be we've seen her as so competent and yes she's a rule breaker, but she's not
0: like You're like You're like oh my god. Out. The Discovery Writers came in for an episode. What's going on? <laughs> um
1: yeah, so I just was thinking, man, this um they they're missing the mark here. And it was driving me crazy a little bit. And that's when I realized, like, oh, I really care about this character. Because when I thought I saw her being written a little bit off for my expectations, like, yep. it really bummed me out. Yeah, that's a good point. And so then, oh, another funny one, when they're back on the bridge, um, and they tell her to do a scan, she presses the red alert button. Yeah. And it's just, no, just wait, it'll tire itself out. Yeah. <laughs> that was very funny. Um and then they have to go, so they find a ship that's in distress, but the captain thinks it just needs a jump. So they go over with their anti-grav boots, which is another great um, Trek trope-ish. Mm-hmm. You have to go to the disabled ship, and you need your grav boots. Um, well, and it's then it's, it's
0: talking back to Star Trek Six. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. 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 Purple blood, though.
1: Yeah. And they can't, so she can't work her her gravity boots, and that's when I really was just like, this is not the character that we know. And I was mad. Mm. So then it turns out that there's some energy feeding creature. So they're actually, this crew is there and they're in great distress. Um, And they finally find the crew. And then it was so cool because they're in the hangar and all the crew's there and back on the bridge, um, they turn the power back on, the, the, the entourage people from um, that came with Amina. And once they do, the creature attacks again, and all the people the crew of this ship are totally traumatized. Right. And the captain's there. She's got bags under her eyes and she's crying. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Mariner says to her, Captain, you're going to be okay. And at that moment I was like, That's Mariner. Yeah. That's the Mariner that I know. Right. And once that happened, Then I realized, oh, she's been like throwing the game, so to speak, until this point. But once it was like, once there was real uh, stakes, she stepped up because that's what she does. She cares. She really cares. So at that moment when I heard that, and and, you know, so that's a few things. That's good writing. That's great acting because she was able to change her tone like that. Right. Yeah, once she said those words, you could tell she was locked in, she cared, Right. she was, like, stepping up. And then she turns into the the badass that we know. The, when the captain is freaking out and she realizes this is going to be bad if the captain is freaking out, she knocks the captain out, throws her over her shoulder, and then, like, mm-hmm. tells the kids where to go to be safe. Yep. Um, and so then it gets into the conversation between her and Amina, where they're talking about how... Um, You know, she's throwing this because she knew that Amina would try to get her to join her crew and have some more responsibility. And she's so afraid of taking on responsibility for some reason that we don't know yet, which I think we're going to have revealed to us, that she was just going to act like an idiot so that she would never not even offer it to her. And then they come to an agreement. She says, "Okay, well, we need help here. So you stop being a fuck up and I'll stop trying to recruit you. Right. And then she's full on badass mariner. Uh, that we know, so the thing that I like, well, first of all, I just think that that transition from you know being totally inept to taking charge was great, yeah, it I love was the
0: character you raise a good point, and you? You a good she point. talked
1: about it directly <laughs> mm-hmm. for the first time, she talked about it directly, where it was, yeah, I'm acting like an idiot because I don't want anyone to give me responsibility, and then they have a conversation later. Where she says, you know, I gotta figure see because she does offer her to come over. She says, I have to figure some things out. Like maybe I will, you know, buckle down to become a captain. And that's the first time that I think we saw her even entertain that idea.
0: Yeah, I, you raise a good point because it wasn't something I it wasn't something I considered really on my first watch, right? Like when they beam down and she begins walking in the other direction and the that officer is like, are you want a different mission? Like where are you going and yeah, like you you were saying, it seems like now she's totally inept. And historically on the show in the past six episodes, if Mariner's one thing, she's not inept, right? She's just sort of like freewheeling and cavalier, but she always knows what she's doing. Exactly. Better right? than everyone else. Yeah, so that's why I actually didn't buy that is it the writing at first. I thought to myself, no, she's intentionally – she's doing oh, this on cool. purpose. Yeah, because honestly – and the reason I knew that is because we, we we have not see, I couldn't point to that in the past because Mar- Marinette doesn't fuck up in the past, and so I was like, this has got to be an act, right? And maybe it's a little bit different with regard to it being an animated show because if it's like if it's a live action show, you can sort of maybe pay more attention to facial expressions or like body language on an actor, right? Hmm. But I don't know. I I I. I got the sense that she was doing it on purpose, like immediately, because again, even though she hasn't fucked up in the past, this is the this is the third time I think where really the prospect of moving up has been, as I said before, like dangled in front of her. And I thought to myself, okay, well, we've been down this, we've been down that road with her before twice already, so she's just going to now, and she keeps saying no to the people beforehand now yeah. she's just gonna intentionally yeah mess things up well wasn't this time so different she doesn't have to but it, it did feel different to your point because It did it's her, feel different
1: it's someone she 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 knows she she respects and and likes this person that's offering right. it to her instead of her mom who she clearly has issues with well and her mom's
0: was a fake offer right well because her mom she and because she was set up by Captain Freeman. That, that was the other thing. She was she was essentially set up. And as we said back then, that that was kind of off putting. I thought because it just made the it made us not like the bridge crew after that because we're just like that's why would you you know. And yeah, it also seemed like it was out of the blue that. as well. It just seemed like it was completely out of nowhere. Yeah. But I do agree with you in the sense that it did feel different, especially because there was that conversation at the end, which made me think to myself, okay, what is. What is it that she's ultimately looking for? And I think, you know, one of my thoughts was that you had said that you think that she's afraid of, did you say you think she's afraid of responsibility? I think she's afraid of responsibility for some reason. See, I don't I don't know because my my thought is that I think the high, because she's been high up before. I don't yeah, remember so how, how high happened. up. But I think I, I'm, I'm asking myself, could, maybe she just feels like she doesn't fit in. Up there. Like, maybe she just doesn't feel like she belongs. I mean, we got a little bit of a taste of that when she was a lieutenant, when she was promoted by Captain Freeman, right? Even though she didn't like what she was doing, which is another point as to why I knew she was fucking up, because she she wasn't fucking up there. Yeah. Right.
1: Remember, she was also given terrible tasks intentionally. Right. But she still did them.
0: Yeah. Right? Yeah. I think it's a case of she likes where she is. She's with her people really and i think it's a case of like if she was to be a lieutenant a lieutenant commander a first a number one a captain i think she just doesn't feel like she fits in there i just i just think that she feels like that's not for her
1: so that's
0: Totally, um,
1: sounds definitely possible.
0: But I think there's more to it than that as well. I don't think that's yeah. just it. Yeah. I think
1: my th- my theory is that something happened. hmm Now I don't know if it's going to be as heavy as like she lost a crew member on an away mission or you know one of those. That seems a little cliche for this show, honestly. Yeah. Um, but I think something happened that made her not want the responsibility, and I think it's, yeah, more than just not fitting in because. I think that like she likes the her friends. Mm. And I think that if she were a captain she would probably want them around as part of her crew, but I also think that um she just kind of went to the lower level and then just found the best people to be friends with because you know she's a pretty solid person herself.
0: It's funny we opened the show comparing her to Michael Burnham and in a way, I almost feel like this is kind of what Michael Burnham should have been, right? Not necessarily kicked down to the lower decks, but don't forget, she caused a mutiny. She was stripped of her rank.
1: She was kicked down for
0: like, what, she, well, she minutes? She was stripped of her rank. Yeah. And right? she was um, set to go to prison, right? Was really right. Prison, prison and at transport. End the, and at the end of the season, she got her... Rank, but re, fully reinstated. So it right. wasn't as if or she, she got had, brought back to the ship, right? And maybe she didn't get a rank back, but it was like it didn't take long before she was like right. on the bridge, uh, taking part in all the decisions. She was a specialist, right? Because Captain Luca asked her to stay on board. But it's almost as if that's, you know, comedy, comedy and personality aside, right? Yeah. The the character journey that. Mariner is taking. To me, feels like that's kind of what Michael Burnham should have been.
1: Yeah, because, she should have taken longer. She should have been, you know, demoted for a while and had earned her way back or something. I,
0: I think it's because Mariner, kind of, in spite of what is going on, what's we are perceiving is going on, she has a place. She has a function. Michael kind of didn't really have a place because of just what she did. And don't forget. That's
1: true. Because the people people didn't want to have anything
0: to do with it. People didn't want anything to do with it because they knew what she did. Right? Whatever whatever happened with Mariner, nobody seems to know about it. Or it's something she keeps to herself. Right?
1: Right. But counter to that. But that makes her more
0: interesting. Yeah. But also,
1: she got Tilly as a friend. She but did. then Tilly was on the bridge for everything. So I think it's I think it's both shows, and I think Lower Decks is resisting the urge more, but just it's but, that need to, like, they, they don't trust to keep the characters off the bridge,
0: basically. But think of it this way, too, and, and I'm not going to go down a Discovery path, I just want, but I just want to raise this thought for a second. Imagine if the third episode of Discovery, which is Context is for Kings, it's the one where Michael's being transported to prison and she's brought aboard Discovery. In the two episodes prior to that, we saw what she did to get her in that position into the predicament that she's in. Imagine if Discovery began on that episode. What if Discovery began with her being transported to prison? And we the audience didn't know what happened. Mm. And that's kind of something we could
1: have formulated an opinion about that. We could have formulated an
0: opinion about that and we would have been like, What's up with her? Like, she's got some shady past. What's going on there? Right? Like I think it's because we saw it. We saw her kind of fall from grace.
1: Yeah. But you know what? I never had a negative. It wasn't as if after the first episode I thought, "Oh man, I really don't like this Michael
0: Burnham person." No, but I just oh. think that I just think that it makes her less interesting. Yeah, yeah, cuz we knew. Cuz we knew. Yeah, but and, I didn't have any
1: ill will toward her because right. of that.
0: <laughs> no one I didn't have any ill will well, kind of, because I really liked Captain Giorgio. But um, I think it's because there would have been an air of mystery to it. And even though we like Mariner quite a bit, at least at the moment, there seems to be a bit of an air of mystery there. Like, what, what's, the, what's going on there? What is that past that we haven't been privy to yet? Right. Right. right? And I think that makes it... I think that makes it more compelling and I mean it's a different conversation if you want to say yeah she's definitely a more likable character which I agree with.
1: Yeah it's a more likable character and uh, I, more, I find a more satisfying uh, arc journey because right. like I said it almost seemed like Michael was set up for some kind of a journey or an arc and I don't know what her arc is anymore because first it was yeah. you need to get back into the good graces of right. Starfleet and like that kind of happened too fast and then
0: it had something to do with her brother but I'm not totally sure what that was right and and I think as as we were saying earlier in the show, I think Michael I think the character arc of Michael is a victim of the constant reshuffling of the show. And yeah. Well, the, thankfully yeah. in
1: this show, yep. Lower Dynakes, there's no reshuffling because they've got a clear direction for right. his character. And I and did you notice next week when we saw the previews, to skip ahead a little bit, who was on the bridge? But Mariner was on the bridge. Mm-hmm. And I think Bormla was too, but wouldn't it sort of make sense that after her experience with Amina and, um, you know, the away mission and her having that finally, like taking a little bit of a look at why is she doing what she's doing and thinking maybe she does want right. to uh, do something more that maybe, because before we were saying, why are they always on the bridge? Why are they always on the bridge? But if she winds up on the bridge next week, it will make sense because they earned it in having her go through these experiences and, and finally thinking about it a little more.
0: See, and that's what I think the show has successfully done in that it's the show has earned all of these kind of emotional payoffs. Yes. Very well. And, you know, I'm
1: not going to beat a dead season of Star <laughs> Trek, but. Right. Like you said, I I care more about these characters than I do as much as I like Discovery, but that second season, more than any of those character arcs, I care more about these characters.
0: Well, I think it's because what we saw in Discovery is. We talked about. You talked about this. I know you brought it up, and it was in an article that I saw that there was something. Somebody. I don't know if it was an article or a YouTube commentator that said that. The biggest, one of the biggest issues they had in that season was they had they had these unearned emotional moments. That was it was unearned. Yes, like the death of um Arium. Right, death of Arium. Well, and also like when it was like every episode Michael had some kind of emotional. Every other episode she has some sort of mental emotional breakdown. And I'm like I don't sure. I don't know like, and and the comparison I made was like if you go back to the next generation in the episode family, which is the episode right after best of both worlds, when Picard is rescued from the Borg, right? And he's on his brother's vineyard. Picard is putting up this front. He he seems like he, he's letting people know that he's okay when in mentally, you know that he's not right. And he has a moment when he gets into a fight with his brother that he actually has a breakdown and he, you know, He has a breakdown. He's crying and that sort of thing. And it's like that was an emotional moment that was really earned because not only was it after this traumatic event, that was the first time we ever saw Picard react that way in three in three years. We hadn't even seen him behave like that at all. And it was that and and that's part of what made that's why that moment was so strong. And it was that moment that they seemed to want to do every single week on Discovery. So there was no kind of like build up to these moments that paid yeah. off when this when these people finally had the kind of breakdown or, or whatever it was. And lower decks, they're not doing a they're not like it's not a breakdown, but like yeah. they're, they're at least setting things up. Yeah. that they're pay like, off later on in the episode.
1: Yeah, and they're it's not as if they're um you know doing these wildly innovative or emotional things. It's no. just. It's just, um, you know, um, they're just writing, they're writing well and right. Yeah, like you said, they're, they're seeding the moments that are going to pay off them.
0: later. And I, th- and and I think it also speaks to why doing self-contained episodes works so well, because again, they're setting it up in the, in the first few minutes and it's paying off in the end and they're just doing it week after week after week. And like, that's, yeah. not some, that's not something that gets stale. It's just a formula. But the circumstances are different each week. But, like, I, I have not. Even though, like, episodes three and four are the ones that we didn't really care for, I haven't walked away from an episode feeling dissatisfied as far as character development goes. Or even really dissatisfied no, 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 no. at all. Like, if I didn't like the episode, it wasn't because of things like that. It was just, I just thought, like, oh, I didn't like the way that this was done or that was done, right? But I haven't walked away. Although,
1: here's what I would like to see. I'd like to start to see a little bit of movement on Boimler. Right. Because I get it. Like, this really is the Mariner show. Yeah. And maybe the plan is Mariner's going to have the arc and everyone else is going to stay static. Mm. But at first, we kind of thought, like, part of the show would be uh, Mariner getting Boimler to, like, loosen up and realize. But he's still just, you know. They just mind it for jokes that he kisses butt and that's what he does. He loves authority and he wants to kiss authority's butt.
0: But it also oh. but you 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 bring up you you raise an interesting question now, though. You make me and I know we're only seven episodes in, right? But you make me wonder with the show being called Star Trek Lower Decks how long can you hold on to that premise before you need to move on, move the characters on, right? How how long is it until Mariner gets or Boimler gets promoted to lieutenant and he's no longer lower decks right like how long do you how long can you sustain the premise right cuz to your right. point you're saying we've got to move on they got to move on well, right like how long can you I mean they didn't yeah. have
1: to move on but the what they've done so far they have to you know they could have went a different direction and just you know they could have just been people that that's where they worked and that was it but right. they've clearly set they have goals and Mariner it's interesting because Boimler wants to be good enough to make it to captain. Yep. And Mariner knows she's good enough to make it to captain and knows she could do it anytime she wants.
0: I think with Boimler, though, yeah, I'm agreeing with you because I feel like we're not. He's not getting. I'm not seeing development for him. Right? Like he has. I feel like no. where he is now and where he was in the first episode has not changed. Like he hasn't I feel like as a character he hasn't not no, no. he, he hasn't grown much, yeah, yeah, so it's it's no, almost he's like he's had moments, yeah, that he, we saw
1: a sparkle in his eye, it's like he gets it, he's learned something from Mariner in this episode, right, <laughs> but it never happens
0: there There needs to be episodes, I think where they need to do some episodes where like where Boimler really gets the opportunity to prove himself because. Now that we're discussing this out loud, I'm thinking to myself, is it the is it the Boimler show or is it the Mariner show? Like, whose show is it?
1: I think it's the Mariner show, 100. percent. Right. So yeah, she's the most dynamic, the most interesting, the one that, uh, uh, an arc, so far. Right. And they're clearly like they're moving her, edging her closer to taking on more responsibility each time, which is the cool thing about having the like you said the, the standalone episodes is like. Because it's almost more clear, like you've got the right. plot, yep, and the action, yep. and then you've got the character development and the movement, and it's easy to like know what's what. Whereas in Discovery, right, and we're, I won't go back to it too much, but we always felt like it was a mishmash, and we didn't right. know what, that, what 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 we were supposed to think or feel.
0: But nevertheless, I think that Boimler needs to get some some development, even though he's and it's almost like. I don't, we don't need it as much with Rutherford and Tenny because I feel like as characters, they're happy where they are and they'll do whatever they want because they're just happy to be in Starfleet, right? So, yeah. Me as a viewer, like, I don't, it doesn't matter to me if they don't get promoted because they, because that's kind of where the viewer is in sync with the character, like you, with the world. They're just Starfleet nerds who are happy to do anything,
1: right? And And they could easily be head of engineering for someone, right? Yeah. but exactly. It's a little less exciting because they're not torn about it. You know, if they got a promotion to like have more nerdy engineering responsibility, they would take it in a second.
0: No, but it's just that we've seen Boimler talk about what his prospects are. Like they said last week or the week before last, his ultimate posting was wanting to be on the Titan. So you know that he's trying. To, he wants to get someplace.
1: Yeah, but does so he? So they need to. Yeah. Here, I wanted to I mean, Obviously, you know, maybe because I'm so excited about Mariner in this episode that I'm getting too lofty in my what I want from this show, but I would love to see Boimler have a couple of things. One would be a moment of um, like, you know, so I teach high school. Sometimes there are these kids that they have this thing of like, I need to get into an Ivy league school. They don't even know why. Yeah. They just feel like that's the thing that I have to do because that will, whatever it is, like make everything okay or make me feel better about myself or, you know, they don't really know why. And then oftentimes, you know, the mature ones realize at a point, like I got to have, like, I got to know why I'm doing something before I do it. And I got to think about like other options. So I I feel like Boingler right now is in a place where he wants that, but I don't think he knows why he wants it.
0: Yeah. I like that. And I would like for him to see,
1: I would like for him to see, um, you know, be a little more present, because all he's ever thinking about is getting promoted, getting promoted, getting promoted. So be a little bit more present. And then I also would like to see him realize from Mariner that the way to be the best Starfleet yep. employee you can is to be willing to um, do right in the moment and not always rely on regulation. And I wish he would have an example of, um, you know, like a moment for him to be faced with a situation Uh, Going a little bit rogue, he will realize it's the best way to do it. And he'll think of Mariner's advice and he'll do it. And that would be a big moment, a growth moment for him.
0: Agreed. My final conclusion is, I mean, we were just, we were kind of discussing it now anyway, but just kind of overall final conclusions. I thought it was a really good episode. And I thought that as we mentioned, I'm just going to keep saying it. The show's at a good cruising altitude. I feel like, I feel like it's kind of found its groove. Um, I, I continue and and this is when I say final conclusions. This is sort of like my comment on what I think, not just the episode, but like the state of the show in such a way. But um, you know, I'm continuing to like how the bridge crew is getting relegated to to be supporting characters or even barely seen at all. Um, you know, it's been for the most part really a joy to watch this show and the clever balance between them. Kind of, the show clearly loves being Potter Star Trek and it just playfully takes. It just playfully riffs on so many of the stuff that was that's been told already. But it's, it's really struck a really good balance of being of being good Star Trek, but also being really really clever and really funny at times, and really heartwarming as well. So even though it's sort of advertised as a comedy, it's not it's not just a comedy. It's still Star Trek at its core, and I think the show is really, again at this point. I think they found. I think they kind of found the groove, and they, they they've got the uh, they've got the recipe just right. So.
1: Yeah, and I think um, Amina sort of summed it up when she was at the bar at the end, and she said something like, "There's nothing like a giant, whatever it was, like interdimensional alien to to really let you know that SpaceX best right something like that. Right. She's like
0: Starfleet to the core. You know,
1: yeah. you want to explore, you want to see new things, you want to kick some ass. And, and, so. Uh,
0: the continuity watch for the week, so obviously, like every week, there's quite a bit. Most of it came in the form of that ship of freaks, but I know I mentioned... I request. Yep. Since
1: this is the one week that I think I got one, yep. may, yeah. I, may I? You may, you may, you may. Okay, so, um, in the entourage of Amina, her what seemed like her number one, the tall guy, was definitely the same alien as the lady from Star Trek Beyond.
0: Jayla. Thank and you. I was yeah. so glad that you mentioned that because I know that in as, as I was watching him, I'm like, he looks really familiar. I don't know yeah. what he is, but I know I've seen him before. That went from his eyes down his face. Yes, just... it was the and when you said that when you said that before we began recording, I'm like I'm like that's what it is. It's Jayla from Star Trek Beyond. That's yeah. exactly what it is. We don't know what her species is, but that was that was not that that could not have been a coincidence.
1: Yeah, so. Yeah. Since I rarely find them on my own, I'm very proud of that one. Well, you got another one, too, kind of. The running through the hall? Oh, yeah, so my other one, yeah. So I feel that um, uh, Rutherford, when he had to do his sprint down the hall to rescue people with the transporter, was very um, Abrams Star Trek 2009 when Chekhov is running through the halls to get to the transport. And, like, obviously that just seems like... Maybe it's just a basic thing, but I don't know any other time in Star Trek that we've seen someone,
0: you know, huffing and puffing down the hallway. I think Chekhov did it twice. I think he did it in the first one, and I think he did it in Into Darkness as well. Uh, but, oh, right. And that's good because when you pointed that out, I was like, "Yeah, you're right." And I said, "You know, it's funny because you could call that a you could call that like a sort of a continuity thing, but." Even though it doesn't directly reference it, if it's something that they do deliberately, just deliberately to kind of remind you of something that was done before, I, that's still, I think, a really cool thing. So that, and yeah, I think it's subtle. It's, it's subtle, nice. right? I, I'm, I'm actually. So one thing I'm hoping the show does, I want them to at least do one scene where they evacuate engineering and somebody has to slide under the door like Jordy does. Do the barrel oh, roll under oh, oh, the oh, door. Oh. That'd yeah. be nice. I'm really but if something funny nice. will happen, they'll like get stuck or yeah. Oh God, I would love that if they did a play on that. Yeah. So, yeah. so that was good. So those were two good ones. So uh and and Kelvin references to the Kelvin film, so nice job. So and some of these I mentioned already, but Mariner referenced Captain Jellicoe in the beginning of the show. Uh we talked about one of the one of the patients on the freak ship is using the same wheelchair as Captain Pike and for the same ailment, exposure to delta radiation. So there was another one. There was Anthony. He looked like a giant salamander.
1: Oh, I'm sorry. To answer, I'm sorry. I have to correct. I believe it was a giant blobfish.
0: So that's a reference to the worst episode of Voyager of all time, Threshold. That's what happens. That's what they establish happens to you when you travel at warp ten. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, look, you need to watch that episode. So I think I th- actually, I know in the past we've done audio commentaries that have been not very successful. I think we I think we should do a I think we actually should do an audio commentary on Voyager's Threshold.
1: Okay, exactly. and I thought the worst episode would be the um, what was it, uh, Tuvix? No,
0: no, okay. and you liked it.
1: I did really like Tuvix. Yes.
0: <laughs> um, so at the end of the show, the life form that grew out of the USS Rubidux looked very much like the jellyfish life form that Farpoint Station turned into at the end of Encounter at Farpoint, Next Generation's first episode talked about the Division 14 medical specialist, the captain, you know, he's an Endosian just like Ariks was on the animated series. Um, and then, yeah, and you mentioned that the second or third officer, I'm not sure which, looks just like Jayla from Star Trek Beyond. So, mm-hmm. those are the ones that uh, I caught. And I've got one more. Oh, you got one more. Okay. So, uh,
1: when... Wimler is first uh, notified that he's going to Division 14 is going to take him. He says, oh, is that the time travel police? Oh, right, right, right. Which from uh, Enterprise, Enterprise, the uh, temporal, you yep. know, guardians, yep. whatever they were, which is great because I always thought they were kind of interesting and we never really revisited them. So,
0: Oh, then there's the other one, um, the, that crewman who was like half-age and ha- half-old, half-young, he was wearing the First Contact-style uniform. Oh. Which suggests that he's been on board that been on board since since then. So, I really
1: hope Section Thirty-One is that um, George O joins the time travel police.
0: That'd be rad. That'd be so rad. Uh, so favorite lines of the week, I've actually got three. All right, Let's hear it. So, oh, Let's hear them, dude. What is wrong with you? Nothing. I'm just phasing. No biggie. Disagree. Kind of a biggie. <laughs> Uh, what's yours? i we can just kind of shuffle back and forth. What's yours? Okay,
1: so um, I really like when um Mariner is talking about the prank she pulled on Professor Rubachek. and yep. you know, threw his car into the um, the bay, San Francisco Bay, yep. and then one one of the um, people in the entourage says, "I love Saul Rubachek. That old car was his life. I spoke at his funeral." <laughs> For some reason that was great. I think the fact that um he was Saul Rubachek. Yep. <laughs> Changed everything. In yeah. fact, his first name was Saul. You just picked this like a lovely old man who's a professor there that everybody likes and you know. Well and yeah. there's Mariner throwing his car into the and there's, bay. A, there's
0: a there's an actor named Saul Rubinek who appeared on the show and the episode The Most Toys, so I was like, I wonder if that's a nod to Saul, Saul uh, Rubinek well, for some reason.
1: There's another one.
0: Yeah. Um I like the final line between Tendi and her dog. Hey, you are a freak. I know. I just didn't want you to worry. <laughs> nice.
1: Um, I really like the when Amina says, nobody talks about this, but the Borgs smell like old trash bags. Yes. I...
0: <laughs> because they look like they would smell like old trash yeah, bags. Yeah, like what would they actually... And again, that's an example of Lower deck sort of doing the... Uh... Raising those questions that you don't normally ask. Like Yeah, nobody asks what the Borg smell. Like like what would a Borg drone smell like? Yeah. It's such a random thing, but my my absolute favorite one was um, what Boimler says to Rutherford after he's uh, cured from his phasing, and he says, You gotta mess you gotta mess me up again. Not permanently, but maybe like a nice two week freak? That was good. Oh, that was pretty funny. And what do you say I'm, I have been
1: working with some ancient plasma.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so. But yeah, overall I'm I'm happy with how the show turned out this week. And we've got three more left. We're nearing the home stretch of the season, so I'm just hoping they keep this up. I'm expecting I'm expecting yeah, a lot I of cameos. I'm expecting him to go, I'm expecting a lot of cameos in this se- season finale. I don't know why.
1: Yeah. Oh, here's something actually I didn't mention. But when they said, "Oh, we're gonna have a babysitter captain," did you think it was gonna be a um a a, a guest appearance of someone? I did, because they no. kept saying, "Oh, we have a captain coming on. We have some captain coming on." No, I was like, "Who's it gonna be? Is gonna be Picard? Is
0: gonna be..." No, I actually didn't. But that would have been a good that would have been a good opportunity to do that. That's, yeah. a good, that's a good point. No,
1: I absolutely love this episode. And the thing that I hope is that um you know. Because I got real excited about Mariner's Ark, so I really hope that they continue it next week. Right. If I got that excited and then it doesn't, I think I'll be very disappointed.
0: So last segment of of today. So obviously we end this with some Star Trek news. And some nuggets have dropped that I will just sort of mention very quickly. So, uh... As we know, Discovery is going to be premiering on October 15th, but they just recently announced that Discovery is going to be launching internationally on Netflix on October 16th, one day after the U.S. premiere. So for those of you who were not sure when Discovery was coming back overseas, it'll be on Netflix the day after the U.S. release. So on October 16th, internationally is when you can dive into season three of Discovery on And Netflix. we do have
1: some international listeners, so hello to you all. Thank yes. you for listening. Um
0: New York Comic-Con is coming up and Star Trek obviously will be at New York Comic-Con on October 8th starting at noon and it will be there will be some exclusive conversations with the cast of Star Trek Lower Decks, Star Trek Discovery and surprise guests.
1: Hmm, surprise so, guests, say? Eh?
0: Yeah. Then it's interesting in the press release. It said for Discovery, they said, Be the be the first to learn about the latest the latest about Star Trek Discovery before season three premieres on Thursday, October fifteenth. Join series Sinequa Martin Green, series stars Senequa Martin Green, Doug Jones, Anthony Rapp, Mary Wiseman, Wilson Cruz, and new cast members David Ajala, Blue Debarrio, and Ian Alexander and the co and the show's co runners for exclusive conversations on what's in store for the USS Discovery crew. I I, I don't think we're gonna learn too much more i doubt we're going to see a new trailer because this will will literally be a week before the show launches so i can't imagine they're going to be revealing too much just beforehand but you never know there could be a couple little extra maybe we'll know a little bit more about what the burn is but
1: right oh so there's one sort of bit of news that i've heard read It's not really news, but it sort of is. So, Noah Hawley talked about what his, a little bit about what his Star Trek film was going to be like. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, And it was interesting because he referenced his show Fargo. And so, if you're not familiar with the film and the TV show Fargo, they sort of are similar, but they don't seem like they're that similar at all. Um, It's more like it's inspired by the film. But there was this bunch of money that was hidden by a character in the film. And there's a point in the Fargo TV show that one of the characters in the TV show finds that exact uh, case of money in the exact spot that the character from the film hid it. Mm. So it's sort of like, is this connection moment? Yeah. And he said that he had, it was something like that where you sort of are watching the film and you're not really getting like how it connects. And then there's a, there's a holy shit moment where it all comes together and you're blown away. So, that that'd, that'd be interesting. Right? It would be very yeah. interesting. So yeah. so I call that a, a tidbit more than news.
0: Yeah, and we don't know we know that I know that right now that's that movie was sort of put on hold, but we don't know what the direction is. I think the last I heard was that I think the um the Chris Hemsworth plot was has it might be being resurrected. So,
1: yeah, I know that from listening to enough film podcasts. Whenever a new person takes charge of a studio, they tend to want to like get rid of any project that started before they got there. Right. Seems to be yeah. very common. They like to take them. Not victory. even really like take them on a case by case basis. Yep. Yeah, they don't really seem to you know look and see which ones have merit. They just well they all serve them
0: all they also sometimes like to see like what was on the what's on the shelf like is there anything that we can resurrect as well right but yeah you're right they tend yeah. to yeah they tend to want to wipe it's the slate production, clean. Just, yeah. well because in and really it's because it, if you think about it it's them wanting to make their own stamp right like it's just yeah. it's and they were brought in probably
1: cuz people someone didn't like the direction it was going in but you know i mean give each project the consideration, right? Would, I would right. think would make sense, but you know. That's but I why think the I'm, new Paramount. know I am not a
0: movie mogul. I think the new Paramount CEO did say that they're trying to prioritize Trek, so. But not necessarily
1: the treks that were in quote unquote development, because you know we hear we hear a lot of things. Right.
0: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do. So, but. We're kind of at this think, point with those the Trek films that they could pretty much do anything,
1: right? But it does make so, a lot of sense that they would want to bring Hemsworth into it if they could, you know? Right. You kind of already have him in there, and he's you know very famous and very Australian and very
0: handsome. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, I, but at the same time, like I I don't I don't see. I don't see what. <sighs> I mean, the the Kelvin timeline films have proven to be successful. I mean, even though Beyond was not too successful, like the f- ones before that were the creatively
1: only... successful,
0: not financially. No, they were financially successful.
1: No, no, I mean Beyond so Yeah. creatively oh, successful. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, really yeah.
0: All right, we've definitely uh, gone on way too long on this stuff, so why don't we wrap this up for the week? So we'll be back. We'll be back next week to discuss the 8th episode of Star Trek Lower which the title I do not have or else we'd be riffing on it right now I don't know what the title is it might be out but I haven't looked So, well, but I'll, I'll know the title we'll know the title next week when we record this I would hope so alright
1: right, thank you for listening especially if you made it this long we appreciate your yep. ears and, and we'll, um, we'll see you then stay cool. peace out